0: Go ahead and turn not to Acts, but to Luke 4, Luke 4. So today we're going to divert from our verse by verse um, study that we've been going through, through the book of Acts, as we kind of, uh, as I was praying leading up to Christmas and what the Lord would have us kind of focus on or study through, really felt led to do what some of you guys have heard before, probably Advent, like the word Advent, like an Advent study through through Luke chapter 4. Um, that word Advent, probably to some degree you guys have some experience with that because most of us had those little Advent calendars when we were growing up. By the way, man, I saw one of those for like 20 bucks at Costco the other day. Didn't you used to get like 10 of them for like a couple dollars or something? I'm like, maybe they still have cheap ones at the dollar store but i'm like holy cow inflation i'm like i can't afford a 20 dollar advent calendar but all that to say is if you're ever wondering what that word actually means and you didn't know it's a liturgical term that um the dictionary definition means uh the arrival of a notable person thing or an event Um, It's something that's like anticipated and celebrated. And and so for a Christian, that would be the birth of Jesus Christ, because that is what we're celebrating on Christmas, okay? Jesus' birth. And today, the season of Advent is traditionally viewed as the four Sundays, so that would start today, leading up to Christmas. And it's basically supposed to be a time for a Christian to reflect on like our faith and and where we stand in our faith. Basically, we celebrate the fact that Jesus already came, but we also look forward to the fact that he's coming back, right? That's what God's word teaches us, is that Jesus has, in fact, already came. That's why we, he, we've been, he died on the cross and we've been forgiven of our sins and we're right with God, but we also look forward to the fact that he's coming back. And in a lot of ways... We're in a very similar situation to to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament or around when the Old Testament was written as they too were waiting and hoping um, for the soon arrival of the Messiah. uh, Something that had been prophesied about over 350 times in the Old Testament. Um, And so they were waiting for Jesus's first coming, but we're waiting for his second coming. But somewhere between approximately the 400-year span um, from when Malachi was basically written, which is the last book of the Old Testament in the Minor Prophets, and when the Gospels were written, or when Jesus was born, that Jewish nation had lost their eager anticipation of the Messiah coming to such a degree, you know, and for many different reasons, but they'd become so distracted with things in the world... That when he actually came, they missed out on who he was, even though the Bible, the Old Testament, had told them specifically who he was. And they should have known when he did come. And likewise, I was just thinking how if we aren't intentional about taking the time to make sure our focus is in the right place during the Christmas season. Somebody mentioned this earlier. Um, Maybe it was in the prayer room. But just how... Our, 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 our holidays can be so filled to the brim with things, right? I think I was looking at my schedule the other day and there isn't a single weekend in it that there isn't a Christmas party to attend. And those are fine and those are great. But having said that, we can be so consumed with the festivities and the activities during Christmas that we totally lose sight of what we're celebrating, of the main purpose of it. And I think the best way to make sure our focus is where it should be during this Christmas season is take that time to remember and reflect on not just who Jesus is, but what did he come to do? What did he what has he done for us in our lives? What 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 are the things that Jesus had to be born in this world to accomplish that couldn't be accomplished any other way? And how has that translated to your life? You know, like what what, what how has he accomplished those things for you? And and when we do that um, it, it allows our focus to be in that right place, um, and we have that right, uh, I guess, anticipation, if you will, for um, Jesus' return and that celebration of Christmas for the right reasons, which leads to us staying close to him and being focused on the right things. Amen? All right. And so in this section we're going to be in today, we actually see Jesus himself reference uh, a prophecy that was given hundreds of years before he came that was talking about himself. And it gives, in a sense, his mission statement or the reason why he came to earth, what he specifically came to accomplish. All right, and it's out of uh, it's a prophecy out of Isaiah 61. So let me read this passage in full that we're going to be in over the next four, four or five weeks. And then we'll pray and then we'll start going through it. So it says in verse 16, and this is Luke 4, And he, this being Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, in recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, and gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, and, and all spoke well of him and marveled. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, again, we just want to pray and settle our hearts and our minds and be attentive to what it is you want to say to us lord father we just know that amongst the busyness of the season it can be so easy where this time that's supposed to be joyful as we rejoice in the fact of our savior's birth and what that's meant for us in our lives we can be overwhelmed with just the busyness of life and become even discouraged and stressed and upset and lord that's not your will and the reality is that can that can be the the instance in any 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 time in this world when our focus isn't in the right place it isn't on the truth of you and your word. so as with any other time in our life we want to make sure our focus is on the right place it's on you it's heavenly minded and so lord uh, even if we know this passage well even if as we're going to talk about today, the gospel, it's, it's something that obviously we've we've no, we've come to know, we've come to believe in. But Lord, I pray it would be as if we heard these truths for the first time. That first time where we understood who you were and that you were what we were looking for our whole life and you're who we needed, all we needed, more than anything else. Lord, I pray it would be like that and we'd rejoice in this very thing that you came to do that you did for us. Like practically, person. And just uh, for those that maybe haven't heard this truth before, you would speak it to them, Lord, in such a way that today is the day that they understand why you brought them here to have a relationship with them and that you've made a way for that through faith in your son, Jesus. And all God's people said. Amen. All right. So, just to give you some background of, of kind of where we're at here in this section of scripture. Um, Jesus has just gotten back from being in the desert for 40 days, kind of before his ministry ever started. He's in the desert. The enemy's tempting him. He combats the enemy's lies with the truth of God's word. And he comes back and he begins his earthly ministry. And it says in verses 14 and 15 that the word is spreading about him as he's teaching in the synagogues in the Galilee area. Basically, he's going around. He's teaching God's word and people are hearing it. And they're just like, what? It's like being taught in a way and with a power that they've never, ever heard before. And he's showing them things that they've never, ever heard before. And words spreading about him. And it says in verse 16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So, since this was early in the ministry of Jesus, um, this wouldn't have been too long after he lived in Nazareth and worked as a carpenter. If you guys don't know, that's where he was raised by his parents. That's where they were from. He was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Nazareth. He grew up, learned a a, a trade uh, of his father, a carpenter, and that was kind of his job. And so... um, this is where he goes back to here in this text. And shortly before what we're seeing happening here, he had moved to Capernaum along the Sea of Galilee. Um, basically, that's what Matthew 4, 12 through 13 tells us. But all that to say is the people in Nazareth wouldn't have forgotten him. Small enough city, close enough community. Most of them would have probably known who Jesus was. He was Joseph and Mary's kid. And according to verse 16, it was Jesus' custom or a regular practice of his to get together with God's people to worship the Lord and read his word, which is what they would do at synagogue. Basically, this is like the Jewish version of church, which I think is a great example for us to follow in seeing that Jesus himself was somebody that made it a point to take part in church, all right? Because here's the thing. It wasn't like he was going there to learn anything new. John 1, 1 tells us what? He is the word of God, all right? So it's not like he's being taught anything he doesn't know, but he made it a custom to go to be in the midst of the church. And according to Matthew eighteen twenty, it still says Jesus is in the midst of his church. And that's why we gather together because there's something special God does when we gather, when Christians gather in his name, all right? And Jesus set that example for us. And it says here that as he read from what we would consider the book of Isaiah, to be precise, Isaiah 61, 1 through 2. Um, and just to be clear, that the usual order of a service at a synagogue would be there'd be an opening prayer, there'd be a time for praise or worship of the Lord, then there'd be a reading from the law, which consisted of the first five books, sometimes called the Pentateuch of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Wiki, Wiki. Is that how it goes, Britain? If you guys don't know the Bible, talk to Britain. He can teach you the Bible rap and you will learn it. <clears throat> but they would read from the law, then they'd read from the prophets. That's anywhere from Jeremiah to Malachi, the major prophets, minor prophets. And then somebody would give a sermon or an explanation. Somebody that was qualified would give an explanation of what was read, like a teaching. And the custom of that day would be that if there was somebody visiting, like a rabbi or a teacher, they would be the, the one doing the reading and the teaching. So it would appear Jesus is that guy on this day at this synagogue where many of the people already would have known him. Again, as he probably attended the synagogue as he was growing up with his parents. And the reading of the day just so happens to be a messianic prophecy. So his first sermon was literally a prophetic word speaking of himself. Okay, and it says in verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. So the one speaking in this passage from Isaiah 61 is the anointed one or the Messiah or also called the Christ, basically all interchangeable words speaking of the same person that are used throughout scripture. And he had been anointed by the Lord as in God, the father with the Lord's spirit as in god the holy spirit so so with jesus god the son being the anointed one spoken of here you got a great example of the holy trinity working in unison together all right the holy trinity important topic we can't spend a bunch of time on that today but it's basically that our god is made up of three distinct persons that form one triune god something that blows your mind but as I often say, if God was completely understandable by us, he wouldn't be worthy of our worship. All right, the way, I, this, the way I like to simplify it is, think of an egg. An egg's made of a shell, the white part, and the yolk. You got three different parts that make up one thing. And so our triune God's made up of three distinct persons. The, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and God the Son. And the definition of the word anoint here, in biblical terms, means to rub or sprinkle an ointment Or oily liquid on someone. And what they would do in the Old Testament is. Is an outward expression of somebody being called by God into a certain ministry. They would anoint them with oil. And it was basically symbolic of the Holy Spirit coming upon them to equip them. To do what God had called them to do. And in this prophecy. The Messiah says he was anointed or set apart ultimately to do five specific things. Number one. Proclaim good news to the poor. Number two, two, proclaim liberty to the captives or set them free. Number three, give sight to the blind. Number four, set at liberty or free those who are oppressed. And number five, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Those are the five things that Jesus came to do, the reason he had to come into this world. And here's the thing, every single one of these, things has to do with fixing or rectifying the consequences of sin or redeeming the damage done by it and every person in this world has these same needs that can be only fixed by jesus because every single one of us are sinners all right it's important to notice that that every one of these things every everything jesus came to do was meant to help you in me Because God is people-focused. He didn't come to make a bunch of rules and regulations. He came to help you because, as the Bible says, he loves you greatly. Or as we'll look at later, he so loves you. And that's a great example for us in what Jesus came to do because, in essence, when we got saved and we became his children and we became his witnesses, this became our mission, too. To be used by God to do these same things in other people's lives and help them. Amen? Alright, now the first thing, what we're going to talk about today, where our focus is going to be, is that Jesus came to proclaim good news, or some of your translations say the gospel, to proclaim the gospel to the poor. Jesus came to preach and tell good news to those that are poor. And there's two main parts of that mission that I want to focus on today. The first being, what is the good news that he came to proclaim or tell us? And then secondly, Who are the poor he came to tell it to? And I just want to say right off the bat, again, don't let your eyes glaze over if you've already heard the gospel. If you're like, I know the gospel. Here's the thing. We never want to lose sight of the gospel because everything in our relationship with God comes out of the gospel. So when we get discouraged, when we get condemned, when we feel guilty, it's because we are not believing the gospel as we should be when we're lacking faith. It's all because of that, and that's why we're to do communion. That's why we we're, we're do it in remembrance of Jesus and what he did, because he knew we need to be reminded of it, all right? And then for those of you, maybe you don't know why you're here today. Maybe you just decided to go to the church. Maybe somebody invited you. Maybe you're somebody here today that you're, you're just struggling in life, and you're trying to figure out why. I am going to give you the answer to all your struggles right now. Actually, God is the one that gave you the answer in this book And I'm going to go through it so you can have the answer and you can know how to be helped in whatever it is you're struggling with, because that's what Jesus came to do for you. Amen. Amen. All right. So let's talk about this first question. What is the good news? Now, as I said earlier, some of your translations say gospel because gospel literally means good news. And the apostle Paul gives us a great definition of it in first Corinthians 15, one through four. He says, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what has also passed on to me. Christ died for our sins And just as the scripture said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. That's the gospel. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, it's most important, all right? It's the most important thing you could ever hear, you could ever believe in, because faith in it is what saves you, as he says in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul also telling us in Romans 1, 16, For I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ or the gospel. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes the Jew first and also the Gentile. The gospel is central to anything in our lives because it's what saved us. And it's central to anything we do for God, because that is what is going to save them. All right. It's not us. It's God working through the power of the truth of his word. And now Paul also mentions this person called the Christ in 1 Corinthians 15.3. The Christ is a messianic designation or name given for Jesus. The Greek word Christ literally means anointed one, which ties back to who the Messiah referred to himself as in Isaiah 61, one, which Jesus references here in Luke 4, that he says specifically, I fulfill this prophecy. And all the other prophetic prophecies about him all throughout the Old Testament were fulfilled in him. Now, the sin Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, that's the bad news of the gospel, but you got to have bad news before it can be good news, okay? Sin is defined as whenever we disobey what God says is right and good in his word. And every single one of us has done it at some point in our lives, okay? If you're sitting here saying that I've never done anything wrong, you are lying to yourself. Every one of us knows that we've done things wrong, that we're not perfect, all right? And the Bible tells us this too. Romans 3.23 says, for everyone, not some, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard." That's because God is perfectly righteous. And not a single of us, one of us, are perfectly righteous apart from God. Romans 3.10 tells us no one is righteous, all right? Or nobody is perfectly right in all they think and all they say and all they do. Not even one. Now, if you want to get to technicalities and just kind of go through some of the commandments gave God give, gave us not to break, let's just start with the very first one in Exodus 23 that says, you must not have any other God but me, okay? Here, I'm gonna point something out to you. From the moment you and me were born, we were our own gods. That is why we have a tendency to want to do what we want, what makes us feel good what is best for us because we worship ourselves. And in the process, we go after everything that we think is going to make us happy and we start to worship those things. It's so funny because we throw around the term narcissist today like it's an illness for some people. Every single one of us is born a narcissist. You know what it means? You love yourself. And we all love ourselves apart from God. It's only God and his spirit that can come inside of us And help us care about other people as he does. Amen? That's the truth. That's the bad news, okay? And God being righteous and just cannot accept those who commit crimes against him. And because he's just, he must punish every crime. All right? And we should be able to understand that too. Because here's the thing. If somebody committed a crime against you, you understand you live in a society that has laws that amount to justice. So the expectation would be the the punishment fits the crime. If somebody commits a crime against you and they're found guilty, there should be a punishment that they have to face. OK, now, what the Bible tells us is that that penalty or punishment for sin is death. Romans six twenty three says for the wages or the penalty of sin is death, which might seem extreme. But here's the thing. We automatically think of physical death, which is is a consequence of sin, but that's not the, the, the specific death or the, the worst death that's being talked about here because the Bible's speaking of spiritual death or separation from God, something that's far worse as here's the thing. You were created by God to know him. He made you to have a relationship with him for all eternity. He loves you. He wanted that fellowship with you. And so to be separated... From him, Because a righteous God cannot have a relationship with an unrighteous person is the worst punishment we could ever have for sin. So for those that don't believe the gospel and they remain in their sin, because as I've established, we're all sinners. If that sin isn't taken care of, Second Thessalonians 1.9 tells us they will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. That being a good definition of what the Bible refers to as hell. The place that those that choose not to believe in Jesus will ultimately end up after their life. In a place of eternal punishment for sin. Eternal separation from God because you had the chance to be forgiven of that sin and made right with God through faith in Jesus. But you willfully chose not to. You chose to live for yourself. You chose to live for the world. You chose... Everything except Jesus Christ, when He is what you need in more than anything else, and you have to live for all eternity, knowing that that was the worst. All right, and so, um, it should be noted too that um, I think it's important to point out that God didn't create you to die. Okay, the first, the first, or to be separated from Him. The the first instance of death that we see in the Bible, whether that's physically or spiritually, is mentioned uh, when Adam. And Eve disobeyed God's command in Genesis 2, 17. Basically, he created them to have fellowship with him. They chose to disobey. That separated them from God. And from that point on, man has willfully chosen to separate themselves from God in choosing to sin. All right. Hence the need for the good news to save us. All right. The good news is that Christ died for our sins, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, and took the punishment that those sins deserved upon himself. God became a man. God the Son came and lived as a man on this earth, lived a perfect life, which as I really established, no mortal person could ever live a perfect life, but God the Son was able to. He came and lived a perfect life so that God could place him on that cross and place the sins of mankind, all of the sin you ever have done in your life, you could ever do. Every single one of us, place it upon him so that as he died, he took the punishment and wrath that we deserved for what we did wrong, all right? He became, Jesus became the substitute, taking our sins upon himself along with the judgment and wrath they deserve. This is what God says in 1 Peter two twenty four about Jesus. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. All right? That's the good news. You have the God of the universe on your side, and he saw that you were helpless to save yourself. And so what did he do? He intervened. He did what we could never do, and he sent his son to die in our place so that we could be forgiven our sins. So that instead of being dead to sin or dead from sin, We're dead to sin now. Basically, it controlled us. We couldn't help it in our sinful nature. And God freed us from that. And now you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to know what is right and do what is right with God's help. Amen. And no longer destroy yourself, no longer hurt yourself. That's the good news. You guys don't seem very excited. Now, Resort, yes, you can applause for the Lord because that's worthy of praise if we're going to praise anything. And yes, go ahead. And regarding my example about the justice that we expect in society, here's what here's an example. Think of it this way. It would be as if you were guilty of a crime that deserved the death penalty. And the judge said, you're guilty 100%. This is the sentence. It's worthy of death. Eye for an eye. And the judge says, but you know what? Because I love you, I'm going to die in your place. That's what God did for you, as John three sixteen says, because he so loved you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He didn't just love you. He so loved you. That is why he did that for you. It's, and it's at the cross. If you ever doubt God's love, all you have to do is look at the cross. Because you should see how valuable you are to the creator of this universe, the one that made you by seeing what he was willing to give for you. And that was everything. Amen? Amen. That He's more than proven how much he loves for us. Especially since we didn't earn, do anything to earn or deserve it. And what the Bible calls that is grace. God chose to show you his favor. It was undeserved. It was unearned. It was unmerited. But he chose to show you his favor because of his love for you. But just as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. 4, Jesus didn't stay dead. As after three days, he rose again, conquering death, again, proving who he was, because no person could conquer death like that. Only God has the power over life and death. And that, in in essence, is the gospel. It's the good news. Amen? Amen? That's what we that have become Christians, we've all believed and received that. Amen? All right. Now, let's just quickly define who are the poor he's talking about that he came to tell the good news to anyone want to guess us Us. every single one of us all right he isn't just addressing those that are material poor it'd be wrong to think of that even though practically that is what sin leads to so often in people's lives i mean people that if they keep going down that path of sin it can it can cost them their families their finances their friends and leave them with nothing, all right? You look at like uh, practices like gambling or drug and alcohol addiction or s- sexual or porn addiction, and that's what it leads. So it can leave you material poor, it can see you practically poor, but he isn't just talking about that. He's talking about like emotionally poor, like poor in spirit and downcast and discouraged, or spiritually poor, because sin has a way of making us poor in many different ways, all right? And the reality is, even if you are materially rich, Because you look at people and you go like, oh, that person looks happy because they're rich. Really? It's like, that's why they're never satisfied. They're not happy. They're never content. They're always wanting more because they're spiritually poor. Jesus gave us a parable regarding this in Luke 12, 13 through, through 21. He says, then if someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. And Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? And then he said, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat in the other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. And then who will get everything you work for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich, rich, rich relationship with God. Jesus also telling us in Matthew sixteen twenty six, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? You'll never find satisfaction in anything in this world apart from God, because none of it is eternal. All right. You can spend your whole life working towards stuff in this world. But here's the thing. If God isn't the reason you're doing it, it ain't going with you to the next. And imagine that disappointment when you find out that I spent my whole entire life trying to achieve this status or do this thing. And it was worthless all that time, all that effort, because I wasn't doing it for God's glory God is the only reason you have significance in your life. And you are significant. You have a very important part in his plan, but you need him to help you know what that is and to live it out. And then he gives you eternal significance. That's where your identity will be found. That's where your significance, that's where your importance is found. And it's something nobody can take away from you. It's the only stability you can have in your life. Amen? And here's the thing. I've experienced this firsthand in my life. Because I didn't get saved till I was 20 years old. And I spent the first 20 years of my life living by the world's standards in what would be a place of comfort where I should have been happy. I had grandparents that raised me that were, you know, pretty well off and had everything that a kid could ever want and lived a pretty fun young life and I was really good in academics and I was really good at sports and I was popular at school. I had like all the things that people would tell you would make you happy, but yet I was poor in spirit. I was discouraged all the time. I was always worried what people thought of me. I was searching for identity. I was never satisfied in any of the stuff I was going after. It was just spinning my wheels. I'll try this. I'll try that. The sin in my life was slowly causing harm and destruction And not only my life, but the people around me because I was living for myself and what made me happy and in the process hurting people, and not caring anything about them. And that emotional destruction that sin causes us is often the worst because there's a guilt and condemnation and there's this feeling of like I can never undo what I've done. I've hurt this person. I've caused this problem and I'm stuck now and I can't go back and I feel guilty and you know, these are the consequences I've, I've caused in their life. And now I have to live with that. That's the worst of it. We focus on the material effects or the external effects, but it's the internal effects that are often the worst. Now, this audience Jesus was talking to, especially the religious leaders, they didn't associate with the poor. In their minds, we're above these people and everything that they're facing in their life is a result of their own sinfulness, which we're not sinners, we're righteous And so therefore, you know, they're getting what they deserved. And they most certainly wouldn't have considered themselves poor by any means, monetarily, emotionally, or spiritually. And as such, they didn't see their need for Jesus, unfortunately. But the poor is who Jesus came to save. Because here's the thing. Those that know they are poor, that know that their life is messed up, that know that they're sinners, that know that... Man, I'm just spinning my wheels. I'm not finding what I'm looking for. I'm struggling. Those that understand that, those are the ones that will see that Jesus has what they're looking for. They will see their need to be saved from their sin. They will see their need for Jesus to be Lord of their life. That's what it took for me. Somebody, when I was at a low spot in my life and and telling me about the Lord and that's who I was needed That's what the Lord used to open up my eyes and reveal my need for him. And it's a good thing to realize that you're poor in this world. Because as I said, that is what will lead you to Jesus. And here's the thing. Once you go to him to give to you what you're not finding anywhere else, you'll find all along that he is what you were looking for and he's really all you really need. Amen. And that is what you'll spend the rest of your life just going for. Jesus, and he's not going to withhold himself from you. You can have as much of him as you want, and you will spend the rest of eternity being satisfied in a way that you could no other way with the one that created you to know him who loves you and more than prove that on the cross and dying for you. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, I've shared little bits of my testimony, but we're going to have somebody come up here to share their testimony with you guys about... Who they were before Jesus, how they met Jesus and who they are as a result of Jesus, because it's super encouraging. I was just praying this in the prayer room. It says there in Revelation that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Right. Right. Because the blood of the lamb, that's the cross what we just talked about. That's how we're saved through what Jesus did for us. But the word of our testimony is the proof that we're saved. Because it proves that something's happened in our life that only God could have done. Because you can't change yourself. Only God can. Amen? So it's encouraging to hear that. All right? So let's go ahead and welcome Kiefer LeCore. Just stand up there if you want me.
1: Hello. Uh, A lot of you don't know me. Some of you do. You probably never guessed that I would be here or even standing up here. I'll keep it short because Chris kind of passed me the, the plague of the head cold. And I'm coming down from it literally the day after he reached out to me to come speak. Um, I took a week vacation in the woods hunting all week. And here I come down to the head cold. Okay. Um, I even reached out to Matt Bellingham, which he's a big reason why I'm here too. Um, I was like, man, what do I do? I'm not feeling good. I can barely talk. And he's like, be a man. it was just like i guess you're just gonna drink more caffeine and find some nasal spray so here i am on the downhill of it finishing up with what chris said we're a lot alike we he his testimony was basically mine i had an amazing childhood great parents but i was uh spiritually bankrupt i didn't have any foundation as far as The morals, I had basic morals. And I'm so thankful that it took, I mean, it took forever to get here, but here I am. And like, um, my wife is a blessing and a big reason why I'm here. There is no reason for me, I didn't do anything in my life to deserve what I have. It is God given. Um, And you're also given choices. Making those choices is tough, but they're the right ones, wrong ones follow this path of Christ has given me like so much more success and hope and happiness. Before Christ, this is over a year ago, I basically was the saddest I've ever been. I climbed the ladder of SSRIs and antidepressants, and it's not a fun road to be on. It's a very sad road, a very dark and emotionless road. Post coming to Jesus and Christ and accepting, being in so much denial growing up, I've never been happier today. I'm coming down that ladder of SSRIs and antidepressants. Unfortunately, I can't just jump right off because it's a dangerous road to be on. It's not a fun one. I'm sure a lot of you guys know that. It sounds super cliche, but just being spiritually bankrupt Coming to Christ, the path I was on was a destruction, destroying people around me, my family itself for no reason. But I had that void that I could not fill and come to find out it's the path of Christ. So here I am. I'm a rookie. So this is still really new to me. And uh,
0: God bless everybody. Hey, hold on! One, well, hold on one sec. I want you to tell us a little bit of like how you were introduced to Jesus because I love your story. Like, so like Matt reached out to like we have a little text chain for the the deacons and so he reached out. And he said, "Hey, can you pray, guys? Pray for my friend Kiefer. Like, I'm just uh, he had some opportunities to talk to you about the Lord, invite you to church or whatnot, and um, he he basically." it started there and we started praying for him. All right. And then maybe you could take it from there. Cause it's just a really cool story. Yeah. Um,
1: uh, I guess everything was a slow drip and then it became just a downpour to where I couldn't deny.
0: Amen.
1: I could not deny it any longer with the podcasts I listened to, the people I talked to, the people I'm around, um, people not even on my path. And a lot of it too, was my wife, Um, and then just knowing the Bellinghams previously growing up, he had no reason to reach out to me.
0: Mm.
1: I had, there's no reason, but for whatever reason I was chosen and he just sat me down one day and had a talk and was like, I don't like the way you're heading. I care for you. You got to make a change. Long story short. And. That was it. I was like, I have to go. I have to see what I'm missing. Come to find out, I had a lot of disbeliefs. I had a lot of doubt. Um, But that goes back to just being bankrupt spiritually. I, I had nothing. I just had assumptions. And then coming here, learning that it's almost denying history, in a sense, too. That just opened my mind, and I just wanted to learn more. And I can't stop learning and it's it's amazing there's no hobby i've ever had and not tried that has filled this void like the path of christ it sounds so cliche but it's so true
0: amen yeah you know um one of the things that correct me if i'm wrong but like i heard like his his salvation was gradual it wasn't like this emotional experience i know for some of us it's like that but it was like matt talking to him and then him finally saying all right let's let's go to church But then also like any good dad, like I ain't leaving my kids with people I don't understand or I don't know. But then like seeing over time, like, well, these people look like they actually genuinely care about people. And and then trusting his kids and then seeing his kids were blessed and they were having fun. And then starting to get to know other guys. Till one day he's out there on the playground while his kids are playing and he has a conversation with a brother. And the brother's like, do you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior?
1: Someone I would never guess in my entire life, James Jasper. (laughs) <laughs> grew up with him. I was like, I do not want to talk to him because uh-huh. there was just, <laughs> previous times, I was like, there's no way this guy has anything yeah. for me. And, uh, man, was it just a moment of acceptance and, like, let me lead you here. Amen. And just to be, like, open, what do you got for me? Amen. And then that's when he introduced me to Eric Curtis. And. I wish I could have it every day because it was so amazing.
0: Amen. And I love how it was the body of Christ as a whole, you know, starting with prayer and Matt talking to him and inviting him to church and then just different conversations, planting seeds where God just like relentlessly went after him.
1: Anytime I fail, my wife would go, you need Jesus. Amen. And it was like Amen. I got so mad life. all the time. Like, why? Why are you telling me this? Yeah. But – uh now i know and i'm thankful she amen. did
0: to this day you still he told me one of the most encouraging things after a sermon he comes up after he got saved just wanted to introduce himself and he's like man i just have to tell you every time i come to church it's like every question i ever had in life is being answered through the word of god and i was just like dude that is the best thing you could ever tell a pastor i'm like most encouraging." <laughs> so amen amen and i cannot wait to be soon baptized uh
1: Hold me down, an extra ten seconds. Double, double dunk. I need it.
0: Amen. Awesome. Yeah. Well, let's pray for him and his family. Lord God, um, we just lift our brother up. Thank you so much, Father, for just his faithfulness to get up here. I know this is a hard thing to do to share, Lord, but simply just telling what you've done, like a couple weeks ago when we learned, like it, it can be as simple as like, i hey, all I know is I was blind, but now I see. It's like we know when we've been changed and we know it, it's only something you could do, Lord. And so he is a walking testimony of that, just like we all are, of, of just your love in coming after us and revealing yourself to us, helping us understand that we're lost apart from you. And just a testimony of you being the one that did everything. So all we had to do was believe and receive you. And that's what he's done, Lord. And so we pray that you would continue to be with him, As we know that this is a process that you have promised to finish there in Philippians 1. You who began the work will complete it. And I just pray that as his brothers and sisters in Christ, we we can continue to get to be a part of that work. You would uh, help us help them and encourage him. Lift his hands up when they need to be lifted up. Answer questions he has through your word. Whatever it might be, but we can be a blessing to their family as they continue to pursue you and seek you and live for you until that moment, that second coming, that moment they go to be with you or you come to get them, Lord. Pray for that. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Well, as the worship team comes back up there, I just want to encourage you guys. Man, wasn't that super encouraging? You guys don't Come on. It, it, that is... That... That's what we're here for, as I so often point out. Otherwise, we'd be with the Lord already. But there are tons of people that still need to hear the good news. You're fooling yourself or you're mistaking if you're thinking that everyone already knows it and they've chosen not to believe it. They might have some form of it they've been exposed to, but they need to hear the truth of God's word. And that is why you're in their life to give it to them. All right. And maybe it's just a seed the Lord plants through you for the next person to come and water and the next person to water. Or maybe the seed just blooms right there. Who knows? That's all up to God. We're just called to be faithful and take advantage of those opportunities so that we can see fruit. Amen? And maybe you don't even see all the fruit in your life until you get to heaven and you're like, holy cow, I didn't know I had that effect on that person or that person. I'm convinced we're going to see a lot of that. But man... It's super encouraged that that anytime I hear or see someone get saved, that's the most encouraging thing for me because that, that's what I'm here to do for my Lord. That's what happened to me. And I understand the hope that I have and the joy that I have that I didn't have before Jesus. And now I know that that's what they have. Amen. So let's just praise the Lord. He's worthy to be praised for saving Kiefer, for saving us. And we'll have our prayer team around the room. If there's anyone in here that needs to receive that good news today, that wants to give Jesus their life, come up and pray with us. We'll lead you in a prayer. We want to hear your testimony as well. And we want to help you in knowing Jesus is your Lord and Savior. That's why you're here today, to receive him. And maybe you have somebody that you're praying for, and you just want to come up and pray for, like, man, I've been praying for this person. I've been planting seeds. Can you pray with them for me? Because there's a special blessing, God, Jesus promises when two or more gathered praying, amen? So let's come up and get prayer for that person, all right? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much, Lord, for just Kiefer's testimony. Man, it just encourages me so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder today, Lord. This is This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is one of the things you came to do, to preach the good news to the poor. That is me. That is us and we heard it and we've received it and now we're not poor. We're rich in terms that we can't, we've been given every spiritual blessing is what your word says. I don't even know what that all entails, but I know it's so much better than anything this world has to offer. And I've, I've tasted and seen enough of that to understand that that's real and that's worth living for. It's, it's the only thing worth living for. And you've given that to all of us, Lord, so much that we won't even fully comprehend until we're with you again. But Lord, in the meantime, we want to keep our focus on that, on what we have in you, so we don't get distracted by the things in this world and um, get off track or become discouraged or disillusioned because we have every reason to be hopeful right here in this place today and in our lives because of you, Lord. So be with us during this time. May we just lift these words up, proclaiming, Your greatness, Lord, for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.